yes, there are, there are several different kinds of approaches that people have. Some folks at the very beginning of school, at the very first day, they are taking notes. They are, they are writing things down thinking, is this going to be on the test? Okay, there's, the, there's those people, like the smart people who are just thoroughly prepared, over-prepared. Uh, like they, they, they got it down. They are ready for whatever test uh, may come. Though there, there's, even with tests, there are, there are questions that, that we're, we're asked that we're not prepared for, even when we prepare as best as we can. So there's that approach. There's those who just write everything down. They're so thorough. And those are the kind of people that comfort you, or at least you want to be around when you're, when you're, when you're going through a test or sit close by. And like, maybe some of the aura of their, their smartness can rub off on you. That anointing of passing the test can rub off on you so you can pass the test. And you're, or you just want the comfort of, I'm, I know this smart person and they know the answer. And maybe I can get it, like look them in the face and get some, some some kind of support, you know, going through this test. So there's those kind of people that are like awesome. They study hard. They prepare well. They're ready for a test. Uh, there's other people who they wait till the last minute, the last week, or the last night, and they are just cramming. They are staying up very late, cramming, studying. They get no sleep. They and they walk in and they they've done all their study, but they are like worn out. They got bags underneath their eyes, and they are about to take the test. All right, and then you got people who walk in to test day, and they're like, "What? Today's a test day." Nobody told me about the test. Who t- <laughs> How many of y'all can relate to one of those three when it comes to when it comes to test? Yeah, I can't. And you know what? We we I know we have some people here that are the are the the prepared folks. Yeah, and I'm glad. Aren't you glad that we get to be in a church with other people who who prepare their hearts well for the test? Yeah, because we can learn from them. We can learn. Those are the kind of people you want to study with, right? Those are the people you want to get tutored by and encouraged by and, and you want to challenge you and your discipline for study so that you can pass the test that you have before you, right? Uh, I, I tend to be the, one of the last two. You know, I, t- I tend to be the guy who waits to the last minute and I just cram and I come in. I'm stressed out. But then it's like I'm clinging to God. God, help me. Help me to remember everything that I've studied and everything I didn't study, God. Bring it to my remembrance. Your Holy Spirit can do that. You can do it, God. And so that's me. That's me. I'm like testing time makes me cling to God. Testing humbles us. Testing just humbles us. Okay? Especially when we, when we face tests that we, we didn't realize we weren't prepared for. When there were questions, there were challenges, there were things that we didn't come prepared for. And, and ultimately, testing from God is for our good. And that's where we're going today. We're going to look at the Israelites and lessons that they were to learn in the wilderness. And they are lessons for us saints to learn today in our times of testing as well. So here's where we're going. Here's the big idea. God tests his people to develop them, to teach them, and to do them good. Okay? God tests his people. All of life is a test. You can, you can view your entire life, whether you live you know, 50 years, 100 years, and your entire life is one big test in how, you, how you, you live your life, and how you use your resources, how you use your time, how you use your gifts, how you steward your relationships and invest and love well, love God well, love people well. All of life is test. It's a big test. But then within life, there are these, there's, there's these specific tests that got these trials that God brings our way that shape us that form us and there's various kinds of tests that we face there's there's physical um physical you know sickness kind of challenges there's 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 financial challenges there's relational challenges there's spiritual challenges there's all kinds of just just various trials and tests that we face in life and it's been said that either either you are uh going through a trial Either you're going through a trial, or you just came out of a trial, or you're about to go into a trial. So you're one of three categories. You're going through a trial, you just came out of a trial, or you're about to go through a trial. So there's, life is full of testing, and God wants to work that for our good. And so we're going to look at Israel's example. I'm going to pray, and we're going to look at Deuteronomy 8. Father, thank you. Thank you. 
that you test us not to destroy us, not to um, discourage us or to uh, ruin us, but you test us to develop us, to make us who you have called us and designed us to be. And Father, I pray that we would be those who prepare well. I pray that we would be those who respond well and are flexible when we are asked questions and we face tests that we we didn't really prepare well for, that we didn't know how to prepare well for. And God, I pray that you would fulfill all your good plans in our lives. That in the hardest times, in the stripping of, of the, the, the comforts, the pleasures, and the good things that you uh, give us in this life, as you allow us to be stripped and tested, of, um, tested by, by going through wilderness, God, I pray that we would cling to you, and I pray that we would remember you in times of bounty, that we would never forget you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you have your Bible, turn there. If you don't, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. And I'm just going to read through the whole chapter. It's going to be long. Um, And then we'll come back through. And we're going to look at five lessons here that God was teaching the Israelites in the wilderness. And there are five lessons for us to learn in our times of testing as well. Okay? Um, Deuteronomy is, we are in our Bible reading plan right now in the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is a weighty book. It is, it's, it's up there with Isaiah in the book of Psalms when it comes to the most quoted Old Testament books, okay? It's weighty. Deuteronomy was the go-to book that Jesus whipped out when he was tempted by the devil. It is written, it is written, it is written in Deuteronomy, okay? So Jesus, Jesus is fighting with truth from Deuteronomy. And one of those quotes was right here in this text that Jesus quoted in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And so... This is relevant to us for various reasons. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 8. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, so that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole day that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you. Testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell. All these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and of fig, and fig trees and pomegranates and uh, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God, but not lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness and its fiery serpents and scorpions and and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, 
who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and my might have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So shall your so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God and all God's people said, amen. That is a powerful chapter. And I just wanted to just read it. I know it's a long passage to read, but I just wanted to read it and let this truth, let the weight of this be felt by us and let this truth kind of wash over us. This is this is a go to passage that you that we should always go back to in the good times and the bad times. We should be reminded of the the lessons here. So here's the very first lesson that God wanted his people to, to realize. And, and I think he wants us to realize as well, is that God is at work in his people in the wilderness. You see, when we're going through testing, many times we're tempted to think that this is pointless. Why is this happening? This is vain. This really, you know, fill in the blank. You know, you know we, we think in our hearts often that it's pointless. Why, why is this so hard? Why does this have to be like this? And we get frustrated and we think I'm, 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 what I'm doing and my, my faithfulness to God in this area is just, it's pointless. I should stop doing this. Yet I would remind you, just like the Israelites, just like Moses was reminding the Israelites, God was at work in the wilderness in his people. It, there was a purpose with the testing. There was a purpose in the wilderness God's GPS didn't like get off and he's like, whoops, went the wrong way. 11 day journey turned into 40 years. My bad, guys. God's GPS wasn't off. Okay. God intentionally led his people into the wilderness. Now, the length of the test and the retaking of the test over and over, that was their fault. That was the Israelites' fault. They, they kept failing the test. <laughs> and God, God kept letting them have another opportunity. Okay. Um, and so, so God is at work. Notice the purpose statements here in, um, chapter eight, verse two. Uh, here, here's what God's doing in, in the, in the, in the, the wilderness, in the testing. He's humbling you that he might humble you. He's humbling you. He's testing you to know what was in your heart, to expose your heart and to do you good. Okay. Verse 16 to humble you and to test you and to do you good in the end. It's good for you. It doesn't feel good right now having things that you really like being stripped and comforts and securities that you really like being taken from you. It doesn't feel good to be pruned, to have things and privileges and people pruned from your life. But God says, this is good for you. When I, when I do the pruning, when I do the testing, when I'm... I'm, I'm trying to humble you. I'm trying to teach you humility. You see, all of us need a, a lesson in humility, no matter who you are. Um, he, learning to, to walk with God humbly is important for every saint. And God, this, this idea of testing or this experience of testing is common for every saint. Okay, you read throughout the Bible and just every saint had some kind of test, some kind of challenge to face. Some kind of obstacle to overcome. And oftentimes God uses those challenges on the front end to prepare the individual, and to prepare his people for what he is bringing his people into. Therefore, it's really hard before you get to the really good stuff. And that was the case here with the Israelites. Uh, God was humbling them. It, it could have been very easy for them to become proud and self-sufficient and hey look at us we're we're free now we don't have nobody telling us what to do anymore we got freedom 
And we got we got all the all the riches of Egypt too. I mean, we got all the, we walked out with with their jewelry and stuff, and now we can go you know enjoy ourselves. And you know they they could have been haughty about the great salvation that God brought about, but God makes it very clear throughout the book of Deuteronomy is they needed to remember God that it was Him who delivered them. It is him who brought them out. It is him who led them into the wilderness. And God was was humbling them. God was testing them. He was teaching them to be dependent upon him for their very life, for their very life. They needed needed him. James chapter 1 says that, Count it all joy, my beloved brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Okay, count it all joy, count it joy, knowing that when you go through various types of trials, God is working in you. He's producing, he's producing patience. He's producing proven character. And we're told in that context, in James 1, chapter 1, he's talking about trials and temptations. And in there, he says that that God is producing patience. And he says, let patience have its perfect work in you. Let God do what he wants to do in you in that time of testing. Whatever that testing is, whatever that various trial is, let God do that deep work. And be careful that you don't start trying to test God and think that he's the one that needs to be tested. Because that's what the Israelites did. They tried to give God a listen. Okay, God, prove yourself. Won't you provide some bread? Provide some something to drink. Provide some meat. Come on, God. This is you're being tested on this, but it was actually the other way around. You see, the testing wasn't for God's information, or and it wasn't for God's development. It was for the Israelites' development. Amen. That they might know what was in their heart. That they might know that man doesn't live by bread alone. That they might be humbled. That they might see the goodness of the Lord. In the land of the living and in the promised land, ultimately. So, yeah, God is at work in his people. He's working. And so I just want to stop and, first of all, encourage anybody right now who feels squeezed and tested and, like, like that's you. Like, you know right now there are, there are pressures on your soul that are squeezing you. And I just want to remind you that God is at work in that. It doesn't feel good, but God is at work. It is purposeful pain. As I, as my wife and I, uh, we clung to that phrase in um, birthing class. We t- and it was a phrase that was so helpful for, for me and my wife. And I reminded her of it in labor. Sweetie, this is purposeful pain. Yes, the contractions hurt, but it's actually bringing forth the baby. The baby's going to come out. It's it's meaningful. It's necessary to feel that. And of course, that's always easier for me on the other side of it. But it's still truth that she needs to hear and be reminded of. We got two pregnant ladies here today. There's purposeful pain. There's purposeful pain. And and so our testing, there's it's it's not pointless. It's not vain. And so don't don't think it's going to be wasted and don't let it be wasted. Don't count it or consider your testing and your trials and your hardship as something to be wasted. It is a part of the beauty that God is forming in your life and in your character. Amen. So God brings his people through the fire and he refines us like silver and like gold. And he lets the heat be turned up in our lives so that the heat causes the dross and the impurities from the silvers to be skimmed off out of the gold and the silver. So God allows the heat to, in our, in, of trials be turned up in our lives to bring about, to cleanse us and, and wash impurities out of our lives. To, to shape us and form us to be more like Jesus. So that's one of the ways that we can trust that God is working all things together for our good, that he is conforming us. Next verse, Romans 8.28, Romans 8.29. He's conforming us into the image of his son, Jesus. So the heat being turned up in our lives, the suffering, the trial, the pain, the struggle is actually making us like Jesus. And our temptation is to be, turn the oven off, get me out, I'm tired of this, this is too hard, too hot, let's go. 
Don't do that in your marriage relationship. Don't do that in your job. Don't do that in your church. Don't do that with friendships. Don't just cut and run when it gets hard. Stick through it. And let God do what he's doing in your heart. The temptation in the heart, in the hard times in marriage, one of the temptations is to just cut and run. Just go to easy route. This is too painful to work through in this relationship. So I'm just going to bail. And people do it all the time. And they treat marriage relationships as, as something disposable when, when they made a covenant before God. And God's people had entered into covenant with him, and God was in covenant with them, and he was faithful to finish his work. He was committed through the testing. So the second lesson that, <clears throat> that God wants us to learn is that he is the source of life. So he wanted Israel to get this. He humbled them. He humbled you to let, and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So God had promised to provide for them. And he, he caused this magical bread to come down, this manna, that would come down on the ground and would be graciously provided for them. They would pick it up and eat it, and they would have what they needed. God wanted, he let them go through that experience of hunger. He let them go through, it was a humbling experience for them. It was a challenging experience for them. Back in Egypt, they had lots of food. They had pots of meat, they said. But they were, they were in bondage, you know. And God brought them into the wilderness, and he provided daily for them. Their daily, he gave them their daily bread. He gave them what they need, enough for what they needed for every day. And he provided for them to let them know that man doesn't live by bread alone, that God and his word is the ultimate source of their life. God is the ultimate source of their life. God is our life. He's the source of our life. By the way, this is what Jesus quoted when Jesus was in the wilderness, when he was tempted and the devil said, if you're the son of God, turn this rock in the bread. He said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. He was tested. And thankfully, saints, he passed every test. He passed every test. He passed it. And he, he did it by standing on the scripture and fighting with the scripture, depending upon his heavenly father. He says that. That we live by every word that proceeds from his mouth. Christopher Wright says this about that. He says that this includes the declaration of God's promises. So every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The declaration of God's promises. The claims of God's covenant. The guidance of God's Torah. And the articulation of God's purpose for creation and humanity. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, it's God's word. It's God who gives life its meaning. Human life needs the mouth of God. Chris, Chris Wright goes on and he says, human life needs the mouth of God that first breathe into our nostrils. While bread will keep us physically alive, it is the word of God that uniquely gives human life meaning and shape and purpose and value. And he wanted Israel to get this. He is our life. He is the source of our life. It's so easy for us to just eat our food and be satisfied and forget about God. Enjoy our families, enjoy our homes, enjoy our jobs, enjoy our food. Go to sleep and, oh, forgot to pray today. Forgot to thank God. Forgot to read the word today. Forgot to, to thank God and praise him for the goodness that he's displayed in my life. And so that's our, our hearts are prone to wonder, as the hymn says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Here's my heart, Lord, take it, seal it. So Jesus quoted this scripture. He fought with this scripture here. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is why, one of the reasons why we're doing the Bible reading plan here, because we want as a church to learn how to, to live upon every word that proceeds from God's mouth. We want to be people of the word. We want to let the word of God shape our lives and breathe life into us. 
guide us in how to live, give meaning and purpose and value to our lives and help us to live lives that bring him glory and bring him honor. So God is the source of life. Lesson number two. Lesson number three. God disciplines his people. Verse five says, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. And nobody likes discipline, right, when you're getting disciplined. No, no children like getting their spankings when they disobey. Um, yet, it's actually for their good. It's for their good that parents discipline their children, right? The author of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, when it comes to God's discipline, this is an expression of his love for his children. That, that a father disciplines his children whom he loves. God is a father disciplines his children and he says don't be discouraged by it don't be discouraged by that discipline nor don't despise it so there's there's two two ditches we can fall in when it comes to being disciplined by god we can get so discouraged and downcast and just like give up like man i'm just terrible there's no hope for me because god's disciplining us or we can despise it like just leave me alone God, I don't need you disciplining me, God. In our hearts, that, that kind of thinking where we look down upon his chastisement in our life. But this is his love. This is an expression of his love for us that he disciplines us. And it's, to produce, it's for our good. It's to produce good fruit from our lives. Spankings hurt. Okay? And parents, I know, I mean, I don't think any parent, like, just gets pleasure out of giving spankings to their children it's not fun to discipline your children you want your children to experience pleasure and happiness joy freedom the goodness of your house and all the blessings that you have okay you don't want to have to take things away from them because they're they're misusing them and so um, god disciplines his children don't be discouraged if he's disciplining you Embrace it. Receive it. Let him do what he's wanting to do in you. And those of us, those of us who are parents, uh, we can learn, you know, God, God really can teach us just as much as we're teaching our children. You know, we're, we're teaching our children, trying to train our children to follow God and walk with God. But there's so many lessons where it's working both ways for for. For me and my son. So I'm, I'm teaching him, and at the same time, God's just showing me about my own self and my own relationship with him and my own failure and, and his faithfulness to intervene lovingly and come in and break through. And so, so God will he'll prepare us. He'll use circumstances to prepare us so that we can handle the responsibilities that he's called us to, to handle. God disciplines his children. That Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Don't despise it. Don't be discouraged by it. Just receive it. Uh, next thing is that God provides for his people. This is kind of overlap with the second point. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways, by fearing him. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. So God had promised Future blessings, future good, future provision, and abundance of future provision. Okay? A good land that has brooks of waters, fountains, springs, flowing valleys, a uh, land of wheat, barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive trees, honey, uh, a land that you will eat bread without scarcity and you will, in which you'll lack nothing. Um, there's, there's iron from the stones. There's, um, there's copper from the hills. And in verse 10, it says, and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he's given you. Here's our response. Here's the response that should happen when God blesses us, when he does shower down bounty upon our lives, when he does bring us into a place of bounty, uh, we should, our hearts should turn to him in praise and adoration. Okay. Here, here's the temptation though. When, when all these things abound, when we got the house and we got the job and we got the family and we got the social status and we got everything our heart longs for in this life, the temptation is to forget God and to worship the gifts 
rather than the giver. And God knows that it would be detrimental to his people to just just give it to them on a silver platter without going through the wilderness. See, God, there was purpose in the wilderness. The Israelites couldn't immediately handle the prosperity of the promised land if they would have just walked straight right in, straight from Egypt and just everything's handed to them on a silver platter. God had graciously provided for them, but I, I believe that it would have led to, to certain idolatry had they just walked straight into the promised land, had there been no wilderness at all. And so this testing exposed their heart, humbled them, taught them that God is the source of their life, that they should depend upon him, look to him, lean into him, love him, and never forget him because he is their lifeline. He's the one who will provide daily for them, and he's more than enough in the times of, of scarcity. He's more than enough in the wilderness. He's more than enough to satisfy us and sustain us. Those of us who've been to other countries, in, uh, third world countries where there's poverty, isn't it a beautiful sight to see children who have like no toys and no material just joyfully play and enjoy life? And you're thinking, oh, poor kids. They, they don't, you know, but they're, they're just, they're, they're free and they're enjoying the life that God's, they're content with what they have. I mean, there's just this simplicity and this, this freedom uh, that, that you can see in, in some parts of the, the world where, where kids don't have everything. And they're, they're, they're just happy kicking a can, you know. They, they enjoy just, just kicking a can. And, you know, and God's providing food for them and water for them and, and, and some clothes. And, you know, and they're making it, you know. God wants us in those times, and, and some of us have come through some, you know, some times of poverty in our life where, where it was tough for mom and dad to just pay the bills. And that's hard when you, when you have to live in a family situation like that where mom is struggling, a single mom struggling to just, just make, make it happen. You know, not knowing what, where the money's going to come from, where the rent check's going to come from, where, how the gas bill's going to get paid or the light bill's going to get paid. But if you've been through those times and you've seen God's hand preserve and provide and carry you and your family through, don't ever forget where he brought you from and how he sustained you and your family in those times. Don't ever forget. Don't ever let your heart be lifted up and proud and forget how God carried you through and he carried your family through those difficult times. He was faithful. And that was the case with Israel. He was faithful. They failed the test, but God was still faithful. They failed over and over and over again, but God was still faithful. He provides for his people. It goes on. It says, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. By not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, and then your heart's lifted up, and there you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Don't forget, you were slaves. You were in bondage. You had no purpose, no freedom, no life. And God freed you, Israelites. That Egypt is, is, is like our old life in sin for the Christian. And bondage to sin and to Satan. Under the power of Satan, the domain of darkness. And we're transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And so don't forget that God brought you out of the land of Egypt. Don't forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. With its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground that was there where there was no water. And he brought water to you out of a flinty rock and fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know to humble you and test you and to do you good in the end. So don't forget that. Don't forget the, the, the simple ways that God has taken care of you. This is spiritual amnesia. You know, and we're all prone to it. We're all prone to, to forgetting and then complaining about when we... When, when something small goes wrong, and, but we forget to give thanks and praise for the many things that went right. David told his soul in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not 
all his benefits. You see, our hearts are prone to forget. So we need to write those benefits down. We need a journal. We need to take note. We need to have memories, things that help us, help our memory to, to be reminded that God has been good. God was good to us when he brought us out of Egypt. God was good to us when he led us in the wilderness. And God will be good to us in the promised land. God will bring us into the promised land. He's good. And so the temptation is to believe that his intentions are not good. We looked at that two weeks ago. The temptation for Israel, the lie that they believed that was that God hated them and that God wanted to destroy them. They believed that lie. Okay, uh, God provides for his people. And so as he does provide and he provides abundantly, we shouldn't feel guilty that he provides abundantly for us when he does. But we shouldn't we shouldn't let our hearts idolize the gifts over the giver. We shouldn't let our hearts idolize the gifts over the giver. I remember I had a friend uh, back in the day who was so obsessed with the idea of getting married. I mean, that's all he talked about. That's all he talked about was getting married, you know, and I was like, sometimes I just, I just had to like be like, man, just can you like stop just talking about that? Like you're consumed with talking about having a wife and getting married and, you know, and all this. That's a good desire. You know, that's a good thing. God's probably put that there in your in your heart. But but don't let that be your God, because if God if, if you were to find a wife today, bro, you would worship her. You would work. She would be your God and you would forget God. And you know what? At one point, this brother got married and, and it, that's exactly what happened. I mean, the, the, it was it was a terrible situation. This brother was not ready. His heart was not ready to enter the covenant of marriage. And he he idolized this the, one the idea of getting married. So God, God doesn't want our hearts to turn to the gifts and love the gifts over him, the giver. I mean, just think how that, think how you would feel if your kids were like, I'm ready for you to die so I can get your stuff. What's, what's, what's on the, the, the will there, dad or mom for, for me? What's my lot? You know, and when do you guys think you're going to die? How old do you think you'll make it to 30, 40, 50? Uh, you know, how would you feel like if, if all your kids wanted was your stuff? Actually, I have been just delighted in how our um, children's hearts have been turned towards us recently, and it's really a gift. It's a gift from God. Um, My son just this morning just came up and sat in my lap. Actually, this week, a couple times, he was so sweet to me. I I have not been feeling well this week. I am still fighting some stuff, and I've been tested this week. You know, and this has been this has been good for me. It's it's amazing how like when there's certain things when I preach that God will like be doing it in me at the same time uh, because that's just what he does. Um, and I need it. I need to be humbled. I need to be reminded that he's my source of life, that I'm nothing without him. But my son, he this week, he um, he came uh, and, and sat in my lap and he just he just prayed for me. He said, Dad, you know, I'm going to pray that you get better, that you not be sick. And he just said this real sweet little prayer and just, you know, just give me a hug and a kiss and I mean, it was like, this should be the other way around right now. I should be praying for you right now. And, you know, and it was just so sweet, just a gift from God that, that my, my little boy was ex- turning his heart towards me in the, that moment. So, so God doesn't want us to turn our hearts away from him to go after the gifts. We need to have the gifts that he gives us in the proper perspective. Okay, so when we do have bounty, Okay, that's there's there's a dangerous spot. There are many there are many musicians who started off in the Christian realm, and then they got famous and rich, and they just like see you later, Jesus. I got the wheel now, you know. <laughs> I was not directing that towards any particular <laughs> Christian singer. Be- <laughs> Beware, lest you say in your heart, I got the wheel now. My power and my might have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And so, so especially for us dads, like we, we know that it's a part of our role to, to provide, to, to lead, guide, to be the priest of our home, to provide. 
and work and, and, and help provide for our family. But I think this is important for us to ultimately realize that it's God who is our ultimate provider for our family. That though you work really hard and you can make some money and you can make some business happen and some good things happen and you can bring in some income and you can pay the rent and you can get that nice vehicle and you get those good things that you and your family have, don't forget that it was God who gave you the ability to do that. Okay? We don't, don't, get, don't take the credit for it and don't even think in your heart that it was all, all you. Okay? Make sure that you give God the honor and the glory that he's due for providing for his people. Amen. There are, there are many dangers that come along with wealth. Many people's lives have been ruined by wealth. They're a snare for many people. Just recently on the news, there was a young lady who was suing the lottery company because she won the lottery. She was only 17 years old. She won the lottery and they gave her the money. And she was suing them because she was too. She thought she was too young to handle the money. She was not happy. She probably had spent all her money. Um, well, I don't know how much she spent. She's she's 21 now, but she was in the process of suing the lottery company. Can just just think of how absurd that is. She wins the lottery, and then she's going to sue the lottery company for more money. <laughs> okay, that's just crazy. But there's there's a couple of lessons to be learned there. First of all. Money does not provide happiness, and, and lots of money can ruin your life if you are not ready to handle it. Lots of bounty and blessings physically can, can actually make your life very complicated and difficult and hard and painful where you don't know who your friends are. You're just, you can't think about anything else but all your, all your money, you know, and all your stuff. You know, so there's there's a danger that comes along with wealth and, and we can just live life in simplicity that, that God will graciously provide for us. He has, he does now, and he will in the future. So don't fret, don't overwork to be rich. Don't don't neglect your family to to live beyond your means or beyond what you really need. Don't you know, don't don't get your priorities out of whack. You know, just so you can get the, you know, the three-digit, you know, the triple figure or, you know, what, six-digit, three-digit, three-digit, yeah. <laughs> help me out, Kendall. Help me out here. Look at you. Uh, <laughs> that is not much. God graciously provides for his people. Amen. So last of all, this is the less lighthearted um, point here. Um, the last is that God punishes those who forget him. Okay? I'm not going to make any jokes here. Verse 19 and 20. If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. The punishment of God is real. It's just. And there's a place that God has created for punishment. It's called hell. And it's a place that doesn't have comfortable seats to sit on. It's a place that doesn't have air condition. It's a place that doesn't have nice lighting, um, doesn't have pleasant laughs and sounds and smells and colors and all the joys and the delights that we experience in this life it's a place of torment and jesus talked about it a lot and i probably don't talk about it enough and i think it's fitting for me to talk about it here today even amongst a majority of people here that i believe are going to heaven okay i think it's important important for us to feel the weight of this reality that god punishes those who forget him it's hell jesus talked about it a lot um, he created hell for Satan and his demons and anybody else who rejects God and just says, I want nothing to do with you, God, in this life. And they continue to live their life like that and they die living their life how they want to live. And God says, OK, you want life without me? I'll let you have that for eternity. And that's what hell is. 
It's, it's for those who reject God and, and forget God and disobey God, and God lets them have their heart's desire for all eternity, and it's actually for their destruction. And that's judgment. That's punishment. That's heavy. And that's why we should be an evangelistic church. That's why we should proclaim the gospel and warn people to repent of their sins, to turn to Christ, to trust in Jesus, because this is the reality. God punishes those who forget him, those who chase after other gods. And we should we should break and grieve for those who are going to spend eternity there, who are headed for eternity there. Like if we really believe that our neighbors who don't know Jesus are going to spend eternity in hell, I mean, like, would we be a little more bold in talking them, talking to them about Jesus? If we really believe that there's coworkers who don't know Jesus, that they're going to spend eternity apart from, from God in hell, would we, would we tell them, would we be bold enough to get past our insecurities and our fears and tell them about Jesus? Um, so th- I want us to feel the weight of this. I'm going to let the weight just kind of sink in for a moment. And then I want to I relieve the weight of this by just pointing to the reality that Jesus took our punishment. He took the punishment that you and I deserve on the cross. And that is the only way to have that relieved, to have eternal punishment relieved that you and I deserve for our sin is through putting our faith in Jesus Christ. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. And by his stripes, we are healed. He bore our sin. He took on himself the punishment for our sin. And that is a glorious gospel truth that we we should sing about. We should get excited about. We should rejoice and we should delight in. And we should be passionate to share with other people, Jesus died in your place. This is a lifeline for guilty, um, condemned criminals and who know that they're guilty and know that they're condemned, that Jesus took our place. Jesus passed every test that we failed to, to pass. This is interesting. In Matthew 4, Jesus went through the wilderness for 40. After he was baptized, he, lived, he, he fasted 40 days in the wilderness. Okay? Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, right? And they were tested. They were tempted. And these things were written for our example that we might not do that. But Jesus, he went to the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil, and he successfully passed every test that came his way. And you know what? He got an A. He, could, he got an A. And you know what? His A can be transferred to your grade and my grade, to our account before God if we'll put our faith in him. The punishment that we deserve was put on Jesus. The, the, the failed test that we've taken, that we've, our failed test, Jesus passed. And we get his credit when we come to him in faith, when we give our lives to him and believe in him, we get not punishment, but we get life, eternal life, abundant life with him. So he took our place. He passed the test. And here's, here's another good thing. He will empower us to overcome the temptation. You see, because he was tempted as we are, yet without sin, he can aid us. He can help us. He can strengthen us when we're faced with temptation. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, God tells, or Moses tells the Israelites, God does through Moses, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And so God says he will do this work in his people to cause them to love him like they're supposed to. This is, this is my lifeline right now. Because I just preached on the Shema last week. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And I have had a heartache over the reality that, that I am not giving Jesus, God, the love that he deserves, all of my love like he demands and deserves from my life. And I am trusting that God will enable me 
through the work of his spirit in this new covenant that we live under, that he will enable me and you, church, to love him well. We can love him well because he has loved us well. He has showered down love on us. He took our punishment. He took our place. And now we can respond to love him well. So I'm going to finish up because I've been preaching long and there's so much more I want to want to cover and I just don't have time. So here's, here's our application today from what we're talking about. Recognize that God is working in your trials. Recognize it. Okay, don't think it's vain. Don't think it's, there's no purpose in it. Recognize that God's at work. And then rely on God to provide for you currently and for the future. He has been faithful to take care of you. He's going to keep doing it. Receive God's discipline as being from a loving father. And then remember God when things are going well for you. Don't forget him. That's the theme of the whole chapter. Remember. Remember. Don't forget him. Remember the Lord your God. Don't forget him. And then lastly, if you're here and, and you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus and turned to him, repent. Repent and believe in him. And let, let that punishment that he took for you be accredited to your account. Let that, that, that A grade that he got when he passed the test be accredited to your account by, by you putting your faith in him. By you putting your trust in him. Amen. I'm going to read from Psalm 103. Just as we turn our hearts towards God in prayer. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust.